Welcome to Behind the Case, an ACG Case Reports Journal podcast, brought to you by the American College of Gastroenterology. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Case. I'm Roberto Simons Linares, Editor-in-Chief of the ACG Case Reports Journal and a GI Fellow at the Cleveland Clinic. I would like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Sergio Sanchez Luna, who is the author of a great article published in the September issue of our journal. He's currently a GI Fellow at the University of New Mexico. Welcome, Sergio, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me for this podcast. I really appreciate the invitation. It's our pleasure. So Sergio's article is entitled Alternative Treatment of a Bleeding Rectal Varix Using Over-the-Scope Clip. So Sergio, could you please briefly summarize the case for the audience? Absolutely, Roberto. So this is a case that we encountered about a couple of months ago here in New Mexico. And this is about a 27-year-old female with a history of decompensated liver cirrhosis, secondary to primary biliary cholangitis and autoimmune hepatitis overlap, who initially was admitted for septic shock and AKI, secondary to E. coli urine tract infection. So initially, this patient, we were called because she developed hematochesia. Then eventually, this patient underwent an upper endoscopy that showed severe oral hypertension gastropathy and large esophageal varices, which were banned at times four. And eventually, she had a flexic as well that did show that she had an overlying clot in the distal rectum that oozed on water irrigation concerning for a bleeding rectal varix that initially was banded you know, and the scoplically banded with a rubbing band. Eventually, over the next course of the next couple of days, he initially developed worsening anemia. Then, you know, she required blood transfusion. So we decided to perform another flexible semidoscopy that showed a large blood clot with ulceration and mild oozing overlying the previously seen rectal varix. Mm-hmm. So you probably saw in the case report, the bands were dislodged. So the decision was to reband this area with two bands again with successful hemostasis. Unfortunately, Roberto, over the next couple of days, mm-hmm. this patient continued to have persistent hematochesia. And then five days after the second flexible thymoidoscopy, she had another drop in her hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. And thus, we decided to perform another endoscopic procedure. So she underwent a colonoscopy that showed one medium-sized bleeding rectal varix. Of course, this varix had a stomatophryer vendic times two and an overlying clot. But we noticed that it had a necrotic ulcer phase, and we decided to use Hotzner with tough coagulation through the working channel of the colonoscope to resect the protuberant tissue of the clot along with the bands. Mm-hmm. Then this did reveal that there was a bleeding vessel at the base of the prior banding side. So to stop this, we decided to use an over the scope clip, which was mounted on the colonoscope prior to performing the hot snare. And this was successful. And we noticed that after deploying the over the scope clip, we were able to achieve complete hemostasis. Great. That was a great summary, Sergio. Just for the audience, tell us, what is the typical presentation of rectal varices? Are they usually present in cirrhosis, non-cirrhosis, or what is the presentation? Are they symptomatic, asymptomatic? To answer your question, do you know, Roberto, about 38 to 70% of the patients with cirrhosis do have rectal varices. 
I would say in a large percentage of them, they're asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. They're found as an incidental finding in a colonoscopy or a flexible semitoscopy. But also there is a percentage of patients that do present with driver blood per rectum, flash hematochesia, and that prompts the gastrologist to perform an endoscopic exam. And then eventually they're found to have rectal varices. How are rectal varices usually managed? You know, what are the different strategies of management? And you were kind of saying a little bit in your case, had multiple treatments. And what's the gold standard for management of rectal varices? I would say before we go into explaining the management of rectal varices, let's talk a little bit about systemic collaterals. Whenever someone with cirrhosis has clinically significant pleural hypertension, this means that they're forming also collaterals. And by collaterals, we mean they either form esophageal varices, they form gastric varices, paraumbilical vein is also a shunt, perisplenic, esplenoiliac shunts, mm-hmm. internal, external mammary shunts, internal hemorrhoids can be shunts, and eventually also rectal varices. Just to focus on rectal varices, a favorant vein is a superior rectal vein, and the efferent vessel is a middle inferior rectal veins, which eventually are tributaries of the internal iliac and pudendal veins. That said, there are actually no current guidelines on how to manage rectal varices. One of the things that we did describe in our paper is that although there are no established guidelines for the management of bleeding rectal varices, there are a lot of options that range from endoscopic, interventional radiology through either a TIPS or BRTO, which is balloon occluded retrograde transvenous obliteration, and also in severe cases, surgery, but also endoscopic techniques, including include the injection of pleurotherapy, endoscopic band ligation, and endoscopic ultrasound-guided glue injection with coil embolization. Nevertheless, the modality depends on local expertise. So this is how people can treat leading rectal varices, Roberto. Excellent, Sergio. That was a great summary of the pathophysiology and also the therapies that we have to offer. Like you said, no guidelines exist. There is some limited evidence. And in your case, you use a couple of approaches. And the one that we're going to talk, which is the very new approach that you guys described. So tell us about your approach. Tell us about over-the-scope clips. How do they function? The usual application of this type of clips. There are two general types of clips, over the scope clips, which is what we used in this case, and through the scope clips, Mm -hmm. which are generally clips that are used to close post-EMR defects and things like that. And you usually use these clips through the working channel of an endoscope. Nevertheless, you know, over the last couple of years, over-the-scope clips have come to the market and they actually have changed the way we practice endoscopy. Let me tell you a little bit about over-the-scope clips. Mm-hmm. So there are actually clips that are mounted on the tip of an endoscope or a colonoscope, and they're actually deployed kind of the same way that endoscopic rubber band ligation works. Mm-hmm. They need you to turn a knob in order to deploy the over-the-scope clip. So to my knowledge, there are actually two available over-the-scope clips in the U.S. One is called Ovesco, and the other one is called Padlock. Mm-hmm. And actually, over-the-scope clips work like a bird claw mechanism that allows the uh, endoscopist to grab 
a significant amount of deep tissue and then bring it into the scope and then deploy the clip. And this allows the clip to grasp significant amount of tissue. Typically over the scope clips have been used for a couple of things. Although we describe an indication for an over-the-scope clip that was not described previously, they're actually used to either close bleeding after endoscopic mucosal resection, bleeding after ESD or endoscopic submucosal dissection, closure of perforations, fistulas, mucosal defects, and also to achieve hemostasis and ulcers. The interesting thing about our case report is that although it was described by Sharma and colleagues in a previous paper about using an over-the-scope leaf to stop mm -hmm. bleeding of an esophageal barracks, mm -hmm. this is, to our knowledge, the first time this is described to stop bleeding in our bleeding rectal barracks refractory to endoscopic band ligation. That was an excellent explanation, Sergio. Thank you for that. Just out of curiosity, so you banded these varics a couple times and then there was a visible vessel. So was it already that the obliterated varics was an ulcer forming or was it still the varics that was bleeding? You know, it is very hard to say. We mm -hmm. think that it was a bleeding barracks with stigmata of prior banding mm -hmm. and a necrotic base. And initially, mm -hmm. this barracks was banded twice in two separate occasions. First one, the patient had one rubber band place, which eventually was dislodged. And then the second time, the patient had two rubber bands that were placed, but still, you know, the barracks was bleeding when we decided to perform the colonoscopy. And after, you know, thinking the options that we had, we decided to go ahead and use hot snare to resect this tissue that was between the two rubber bands that were left to make sure we had a clear base that would allow us to correctly deploy an over-the-scope clip. So are there studies on over-the-scope clips for varices at all? Or are there any serious cases? What's the evidence behind this? To our knowledge, there are no studies evaluating over-the-scope clit in the management of rectal varices. And, you know, that's why I think this is one of the interesting cases about our manuscript that does describe that although there is not an indication for an over-the-scope clit because there are no current guidelines for this, you know, over-the-scope clips could place a role in the management of variceal bleeding from the lower gastrointestinal tract, and that we all, you know, as gastrologists and as trainees and fellows, you know, we should be familiar with the use of these tools. Excellent. I couldn't agree more. Now, in summary, what would you say was the most challenging part of this case? I think initially, you know, when I was involved in this case, the challenging thing was to step back and see that the patient had failed traditional therapy with endoscopic rubber band ligation. Eventually, you know, I think the challenging part was to be creative to how to treat this varics that had failed traditional treatment with rubber bands. So I think that creative part was between my mentor, Dr. Rastigi, which I'm very thankful to him for his guidance and help throughout my fellowship. And, you know, we were discussing the case and we came to this idea. Why don't we put in a colonoscope and then mount the over the scope clip and then through the working channel of the colonoscope, then let's use the hot snare with soft coagulation to resect this tissue that was just hanging in there and that was precluding optimal visualization of the, the target vessel that we wanted to treat. Mm -hmm. And then eventually let's just go ahead and do it. So I think that was the challenging part about a 
acknowledging that the patient had failed, what looks like it was just traditional therapy with endoscopic placement of rubber bands, mm -hmm. and then eventually to be creative on how to use your material to go ahead and treat a problem. Yeah, no, that was very clever. Do you guys consider like glue injection perhaps? Exactly. So one of the things that I take as a learning point is that you always have to be two steps ahead of the game, especially when you have a patient that is this sick, that is bleeding, and that has failed on traditional endoscopic hemostasis therapies. And to make a point about this is that although over the scope clips, they're not hard to deploy. They're like uh, a rubber band. The point yeah. here, exactly, is that what happens if you incorrectly deploy an over the scope clip? I think that's when you can get into trouble. Mm -hmm. And that's when you as a trainee, you know, have to have a backup plan and have to be two steps ahead of the game. So, you know, our next tool, if this was unsuccessful, was to use U.S. guided coiling and gluing of this bleeding barracks. Or otherwise, you know, other therapies involve tips, BRTO, yeah. surgery as well. But obviously, you know, you want to be as minimally invasive as you can. And I think when you are dealing with a case like this, it's always to have the backup plan of people who have more experience than you to make sure that if something goes wrong with the therapies that you're doing, that you have a backup plan that will save you in these cases. Great. Thank you, Sergio, for that explanation. Now, could you please summarize the take-home points to learn from your case? I think when you see rectal viruses in a, a patient in which you are doing just a screening colonoscopy, let's say, you have to think about pleural hypertension as something in your differential diagnosis. Or patient, you know, was patient that we knew that, you know, she had decompensated liver cirrhosis, but you have to think that rectal viruses can be a manifestation of pleural hypertension and that you should probably do some more further investigation in patients in which you find asymptomatic rectal viruses. The other thing is to know your material, know what you have in your endoscopy unit, know how it works, know the sizes, be familiar with your text to make sure that they know what you guys are doing and also have the backup of people who are more experienced than you to make sure that you are too step ahead of the game in case what you think is going to work, it doesn't work. Excellent. I couldn't agree more. And as uh, I always like to ask a non-medical question to finalize this episode and to get to know you a little better, Sergio, tell us something about you that uh, most people don't know. Well, uh, first of all, I think it's a great idea to ask non-medical questions, you know, <laughs> I think. One of the things that is my passion is to foster well-being in physicians. And I have had the pleasure of having extraordinary mentors that have done research on how healthy qualities of the mind impact the well-being of people. And I think fostering well-being in physicians is just a huge work that we have to do as fellows. I was reading the other day about the burnout that about 300 to 400 physicians die by suicide in the U.S. per year. And I think that we as trainees have to have tools that eventually can help us cope with burnout and that eventually can help us to be better physicians and be better human beings. So, you know, my interest in well-being is something that not a lot of people know. 
Thank you for sharing that, Sergio. So Sergio is going to be an advanced endoscopist, but also he's interested in uh, burnout and well-being. That's awesome. Thank you, Sergio. And with that, we finalize this episode of Behind the Case. Thank you so much to the audience for listening. Thank you again, Sergio, for being here today. And until next episode. <laughs>